Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here as always with Abby Bitterman in the uh, friendly confines of the Lloyd Noble Center. Yep. Uh, shall we say this afternoon, as you uh, get ready to uh, talk to some OU hoopsters, in, in ahead of uh, Saturday's game in Lawrence, mm-hmm. which we'll get to on our last segment, which is always our uh, non-football segment. But, Abby, let's start off with uh, Wednesday's press conference. Introducing uh, DeMarco Murray and Jamar Kane. what was maybe the most interesting thing you uh, took away from, from yesterday's press presser? I think just how, um, how excited uh, – Jamar Kane and DeMarco Murray were to be here, how kind of like confident they they seem. I know that they're, uh, DeMarco Murray got a lot of questions about, you know, um, his his desire to be a coach, his not not necessarily readiness, but how how much his experience will translate into coaching and things like that. And, you know, they both just seemed like they already kind of were starting to fit in well and but they were also both very uh open about a lot of things about how uh especially Jamar Kane talking about how this is like a really important opportunity for him um and things like that so I just think that um you know they're two guys both with pretty interesting stories and they seem to already feel comfortable here uh here in Norman yeah two guys with completely different backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, DeMarco Murray coming through the NFL and his playing days uh, only one or two years removed from playing spent a year in the booth uh, as a college football analyst and then uh, spent last year his lone year coaching at uh, at Arizona Jamar Kane from Arizona State another Pac-12 guy um, grew up in Sacramento wasn't a, a highly recruited football player at all uh, came up through the small college ranks Missouri State uh, wound up at North Dakota State, which of course the uh, an FCS power, and then sort of worked his way up from there, uh, from Wyoming to to Fresno State, and then last year to Arizona State. And it, you know, it was we we knew Demarco Murray before yesterday, although I, I thought uh, he was a much different guy than we knew as a player. Um, you can see why outside of the on-field success which has been phenomenal and which certainly helps him on the recruiting trail even though he downplayed it uh yesterday as part of his recruiting pitch he said he didn't bring it up it's just something that he understands that it helps him and it does there's zero doubt about that (laughs) but that uh that's sort of in the past and he wants to to sell himself on his own merits you know i i thought on his own merits yesterday DeMarco Murray was a was really impressive and uh you can see why guys would want to play for him and I know he got got a lot of that from from Kel Gundy who we've seen with all kinds of recruiting success over the years and development success Mm -hmm. for that matter and some other guys along the way in the NFL so I, I I I thought that the way DeMarco handled himself and and some of the answers that he gave maybe 
was the most interesting thing to me when you think about these two assistants and we'll get, I think in the second segment, we'll try to talk about some of the non uh, assistant coach stuff. Oh yeah. I that, purely uh, <laughs> took your question from an assistant coach yeah, standpoint. No, there, there was there, other there's, stuff. There's, I there's was all kinds of other stuff that we'll uh, attack there, but you know, getting to know Jamar Kane. Yeah. I, I thought he was really impressive as well, especially he was asked, I believe by Barry Trammell. Um, how do you, recruit to defense in this league and he just said work you've got to work at Mm -hmm. it and uh you know while that's maybe an obvious answer he also didn't run away from you know what the thought of of big 12 defenses are but he also pointed at alex grinch and his history at washington state which of course being a, a West Coast guy, he's very familiar with. So uh, he said that just sells itself when talking about Grinch's success at Washington State. And then he said uh, at Washington State, you're not getting the, that same athletes that USC is getting or Oregon is getting or even at Arizona State. But he had a top 10 defense and we're definitely going to get there is what he said. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, also he's already kind of proved um, what he can do on the recruiting trail. He got, I think it was three of the top uh, guys in California to commit to Arizona State in this class. And also he talked about, you know, the recruiting that he did in um, at North Dakota State, how he would have to drive like six or seven hours to go places to convince guys to come play in North Dakota where Yeah, he said... Uh, yeah, yeah. He say said it. Uh, it's hard to get a kid from Texas or California or Florida to get to Fargo when it's negative forty-two. That ain't easy. I can sell all the national championships, the Far- Fargo Dome. What Coach Kleiman, which is Chris Kleiman, who's now at Kansas State, doing a great job there. But to get a kid to get up when it's negative forty-two and windshield—that's tough. I've done it, done it all, and I take pride in that too. So if he can recruit there he can recruit anywhere and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of job he does and this coaching staff as a whole does because I think Jamar Kane and you know I think a lot of Ruffin McNeil and what Ruffin McNeil was able to do but the one sort of drawback for him was out on the road recruiting and I think when you add a guy like Jamar Kane into that mix, um, you've got a chance to 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 elevate beyond what they are now. And I, I think that this class, uh, this 2020 class, was a, a good building block. But they've also got to aim higher because they they have to be, you know, they're they they can't recruit to be the best defense in the Big 12. They have to recruit to hang with the LSUs, the Alabamas, the the Ohio States, the Clemsons of the world. And to do that, you've got to convince guys, especially big-time defensive linemen in particular, to take a chance on a Big 12 school. And I think that if there's anybody that can do it, it seems like Jamar Cain's the guy. Yeah. And, I mean, on on the other side, with DeMarco Murray, you want to talk about recruiting. I mean – you already mentioned how his his NFL history can be very helpful to him recruiting, but he also clearly seems to already have a strong feel of uh, Oklahoma's recruiting brand, sending the eyeball emojis to uh, 
uh, Kale Gundy when the running back job came open before he even got a call or anything. I thought that that was, that was kind of a fun moment in the press conference when Lincoln told that story. That had to be the best story of yesterday. Yeah. To hear, so Lincoln Riley and Kale Gundy um, were, were recruiting down in Dallas in uh, mid-January. Ruffin McNeil announces that he's, or not Ruffin McNeil, excuse me, Jay Bulware is announced as the, the running backs coach or tight ends coach getting all kinds of mixed around <laughs> tight ends coach at texas kale gundy's phone buzzes when he's sitting there with riley recruiting in the metroplex and who is it but demarco murray with nothing but a pair of eyeballs lincoln, lincoln riley special signature emoji mm-hmm. so the eyeballs and you know going back on it i wish i would have written it like this the eyeballs turn the table on lincoln riley because, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley was the one that, well, Lincoln Riley was the one that ultimately got the commit again. But at the same time, I think DeMarco Murray, that once he became a serious candidate, you knew that that was going to happen. That reunion was going to happen between the Sooners and DeMarco Murray. Yeah. And he was he was very uh, excited about it yesterday, talking about how, like, uh, Norman is his home is what he considers to be his home and um how he knew that he wanted to, to make the it back great to disdain OU. of his mother apparently oh yeah i missed this yeah his mother apparently corrects him every time he says i'm going home oh and he re- he's referring to norman she's like you're a las vegas boy your home is vegas he's like i love vegas i'll rep vegas all day every day but norman is home i'm gonna be honest and my parents are going to be sad when they hear this, but I feel like I've been living in Norman more consistently now myself for so long that, you know, I think I, I can kind of relate to that feeling. I will, I, I talk about constantly how I'm from Chicago, but yeah, no, I think that when you, when you've been in a place so long, it kind of starts to feel that way, especially when it's kind of where you become an adult, I think. That's, yeah, why, that's, I think why that's why it has that feeling for me. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, that this is where he grew up mm-hmm. in in literal terms. This is this is where he sort of mentally grew up and made that transition from, from a kid to an adult. And I, I think that that's important, and I think that that's kept those uh, uh, ties strong. He said that... Uh, you know, some of the first people he called when this thing happened were, were Bob Stoops and uh, Kale Gundy was up there. I'm trying to think who else that he mentioned um, right there. But, you know, just really interesting getting to know. Uh, oh, Kevin Sumlin, yeah. who, who, of course, you know, he had to. Uh, he really needed to inform. Reach out to. but. Yeah. But he said that uh, that would, that was hard, but it was a good conversation. Oh, and Jason Witten was the other one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually am talking about last year when he decided to, uh, uh, you know, looking back over this. Yeah. What he was talking about is last year when he decided to be a coach and make that transition. Because he said he'd always wanted to be a coach, but he sort of thought about it as happening in his mid-30s a little bit later, mm-hmm. which is interesting because he's already starting off late. That – when he decided to get into it, he called Coach uh, Kevin Sumlin, and he called Kevin Sumlin not to beg for a job, but just to ask for advice. 
you know, it ultimately wound up that uh, he worked with Kevin Sumlin, but Sumlin, of course, was Oklahoma's offensive coordinator early in DeMarco Murray's OU career. Called Bob Stoops, called uh, Kale Gundy in there as well, as well well as Jason Witten. So it's obviously uh, worked out about as well as DeMarco Murray could have hoped for sure. Yeah, definitely. And now um, DeMarco Murray and uh, uh, Jamar Kane, instead of going against each other like they did in the (laughs) Pac-12. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in the second segment. Love to to tease the second uh, segment. Get started on some non uh, assistant coach talk, but uh, we're going to take a break there. We're going to be right back with more of the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Ryan Aber here with Abby Bitterman. And uh, Abby, let's start off with uh, a little bit more on Jamar Kane and DeMarco Murray. These guys didn't have, a, you know, didn't know each other really at all before, uh, excuse me, they got this job together. Mm-hmm. But they've gone head-to-head not too long ago. Nope, not too long ago at all. Uh I mean, being at rival schools, you know, they obviously would have to play each other. And uh, I remember DeMarco Murray said something about uh, my backs, my running backs had a lot of trouble in that game. Uh, thanks to <laughs> thanks to him. Fair to say they're uh, they only rushed Arizona only rushed for 155 yards against Arizona State this year. And uh, Arizona State won that game 24 to 14 in uh, late November. But Khalil Tate had 78 of those rushing yards, so only uh, 77 of them came from uh, outside of the the quarterback position. So, yeah, it was so not take that as you will. Not a great day for for Demarco Murray, but certainly a really good day for for Jamar Kane's bunch. His uh, his defensive line really made it difficult on the Wildcats in that game, and I, I think that. Uh, you know, that's just another example of, of why Lincoln Riley, and, and I'm not talking about this game, but just the way that they progressed as a whole of this season, why Lincoln Riley felt like Jamar Kane was a good fit for this defense. And I, I thought it was interesting also that we found out yesterday that Jamar Kane was going to coach the defensive ends as well, which makes sense in this defense with what they do. Uh, you know, the fact that outside linebackers – are often just defensive ends in in this defense. So, um, you know, I I sort of thought it was maybe a little bit ridiculous not to have the defensive ends and the outside linebackers working together because even on the roster they have uh, at least a couple guys that are listed as a defensive end slash linebacker. Yeah, and I think another thing that was interesting about Jamar Kane was that, um, you know, he's the – he's – the first person that Lincoln's hired that he doesn't have a long connection to or history with. He's, but he said that he was someone that other people recommended to him that and people that he trusted. And I thought that was interesting because most of the staff is guys that have connections to Lincoln or OU or things like that. And so, yeah, but I think it's good yeah, to no, go definitely. outside 
of that bubble. Definitely. And I think so often coaches get stuck only looking inside that bubble. And I think when you look outside, you get guys that can teach you new things. You know, even Lincoln Riley, and Lincoln Riley I think is smart enough. He knows enough to know that he doesn't know everything. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's important both for Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch to to expand that, that sphere of influence. And I think this was a good way to do it by going after uh, Jamar Cain uh, because he's been around some really, really big-time names in, in that profession. He's been around Chris, Chris Kleiman, whose success is you know really hard to argue with, did a great job, I thought, last year at Kansas State. And it's going to be interesting to hear what Chris Kleiman says about Jamar Cain mm -hmm. here uh, before too long. We'll either hear from him in the spring or uh, – and we'll probably hear, probably ask him in the spring at some point uh, uh, about that on a Big Twelve teleconference or something like that. Um, you know, he's he's learned from Herm Edwards, who has done great things in the NFL, and I thought that the job that he did at Arizona State last year was absolutely phenomenal, and they'll continue to build there. He's had some other you know big time names that he's coached under, so. Um, I think it's a really, really good thing for this staff to go outside of those norms and hire somebody with uh, those connections, with California recruiting connections, which is big. I think Oklahoma's uh, California uh, success has waned a little bit over these last few years as far as recruiting goes. They've gone out and got, got some kids. I mean, you obviously look at – uh, you know, Brendan Radley Hiles uh, a couple years ago, and, and they've got a couple other California kids on their roster. Um, Jeremiah Cradell, uh, most recently, um, a, a couple other guys um, there, but they hadn't had the amount of success that they had just a few years ago, and I think that's really important. Now you've got two guys with some West Coast ties, although clearly Jamar Canes are stronger. And you can expand uh, your recruiting base a little bit more, which is what that they've tried to do as, as much as they could. Yeah. What else from the press conference, non-assistant coach-wise, did you find interesting? Well, I think <sighs> there's so much that Lincoln Riley says that is good and true and, and, rings, and rings true. There's one thing that he said yesterday that didn't ring true at all, though, to me. And that is uh, about Chandler Morris. And, you know, maybe this kid winds up being, you know, it's hard to discount Lincoln Riley with quarterbacks given his track record to this point. Mm -hmm. However, what he hasn't done is developed a quarterback from high school to be a strong college uh, quarterback. Uh, they got Chandler Morris, and I, and I realize they feel good about that. But to say uh, he he talked about Chandler Morris and, and they thought, you know, it really came down to whether he's going to play for his dad or, or go somewhere else. And Lincoln Riley said, well, if he was going to come somewhere else, that I he, he sort of had a really good feeling that it would wind up being Norman. And he said, to be honest, I didn't find another quarterback out there that we really fell in love with and we thought was the right guy for us. And so as time went on, uh, obviously the situation in Arkansas happened and, and that, that marriage sort of came together. 
the and fact he also is, called him uh, his favorite quarterback in the class. Right, which is absurd. Now, again, I know that star ratings don't necessarily matter when you look at the the narrow view of it, player to player. Uh, I can't remember. I, I think we talked about this last week. Yeah. Um, and I bring it up all the time that star ratings don't matter in a, in a one-player situation. But they generally matter collectively. And I, I know, hey, there's a chance that he turns Chandler Morris into you know the next Baker Mayfield. But the fact is, you know, say Bryce Young wanted to come to Oklahoma, five-star kid, wound up a dual threat guy, wound up at at Alabama, but uh, I I know Oklahoma was was in on him at one point. You cannot tell me that they would have taken Chandler Morris over uh, a Bryce Young type of player. And there were, you know, several. I mean, you just look at the rivals list and there's, you know, Chandler Morris is not in the top 25 on either the dual threat or the pro-style quarterback list. You know, he's 5'10". I know that's part of it that's going to keep him down. And, and, you know, maybe he winds up playing above that. But uh, it's just sort of hard to believe that he's being truthful in that. And we've gotten to where we sort of question Lincoln Riley a little bit more about quarterback stuff because of the way he's talked about the quarterback battles the last couple of years, you know, between Baker Mayfield and, and – or, excuse me, Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall. And then last year with uh, Jalen Hurts and, and uh, Tanner Mordecai where he talks about how close they are and that they're coming down to the wire. And then you look up and think, you know, there's no way – watching Kyler, there's no way that Austin Kendall was right there with him you watch Jalen Hurts and you think there's no way that Tanner Mordecai was right there with him. So, again, let's cut Lincoln Riley a little bit of slack, but call me skeptical about the the, uh, Chandler Morris uh, hype. Yeah, and I mean, I think they can, like you kind of said at the beginning, uh, Lincoln and OU can definitely be happy and excited about uh, getting Chandler Morris. But I think to go as far as to say he was our absolute favorite in that class. And he said he didn't even say, like, in the end. He said from the beginning, from second one, which is apparently which a new that, Lincoln Rileyism. Yeah, but Which, that's absurd. I mean, it's one thing, hey, be happy you got Chandler Morris and, and, and be happy that that decision came, you know, when it did sometime in December there after everything that happened with his, his father getting fired at Arkansas, getting hired at, at Auburn. But, hey, may, you know, I do think it's a really good fallback, but it's I still, there's no way that he thought Chandler Morris was the number one quarterback in the 2020 class. Yeah, definitely. So, Abby, before we get to uh, we jump to the third segment and, and talk some non-football stuff, we did have a couple questions uh, come through today. Um, uh, I'll throw this first one to you. How do you think? Who? Sorry, who do you think um, makes the biggest jump in year two under Alex Grinch? You know that that's a really 
hard uh, question. It's a good question. It's a really good question. Um, uh, gosh, you know, I'm trying to think. I, I go over uh, some of these players, and, and you no, know, I really think. I'm trying to think who I want to say here because this is this is tough because they were they had some some guys especially at linebacker who I thought made big steps forward this year you know guys like Deshaun White and and Nick Benito uh, really stand out you know at DB I think they were a little bit hamstrung by uh, some youth and and some depth there it, it, gosh. You know, I look at a guy like Marcus Stripling, a guy who played a pretty fair amount this year on the defensive line. I thought he flashed some some really good things, but I think he's going to have to take a pretty significant step forward for them, especially if he wants to play because there's going to have some more competition next year with some of the guys that they're bringing in. You know, I think Marcus Stripling could be the guy that makes the biggest jump. And, and and I think Calvin Thibodeau has proven to be a strong developer of talent. I mean, I know there's there's a certain faction of OU fans who want Calvin Thibodeau sort of run out of town on a rail. But look at what Neville Gallimore became. Yeah. And, and even Jamar Cain said that yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and look at what he became. And honestly, look at what he was as a junior because, you know, we've, we talk about this all the time on this podcast, it seems like that you know Neville Gallimore was sort of criminally underrated I thought as a junior and still made a big step forward this year as a senior so so I really look uh for uh for Marcus Stripling to make a big leap forward what uh what about you you have any guys in mind I think that I mean you know you talked about the the impact of a guy like Nick Benito and I think that he and uh David Agwegbu, okay. I was I was worried, uh, but yeah, I think that those two guys. I mean, they already had an impact. They already, um, you know, had especially late in the season, had started to had like been making some pretty big and key plays on OU's defense. And so I think that those are two guys who can just kind of continue to get better and continue to improve. And I mean, their impact has kind of already been been seen and I think that especially you know um with the loss of a guy like Kenneth Murray who declared for the NFL I think that just those two guys in that linebacker group kind of become more important and have the opportunity to make an even bigger leap than what they showed this past season now I think another guy that I sort of keep my eye on is Jamal Morris uh the the safety um redshirted this year didn't get to play much but he's got the size at six foot two uh i think he's got the speed to be able to uh hang in there so we'll see if maybe he's a guy who takes a big leap forward as a sophomore as a redshirt freshman excuse me and and is able to find significant playing time but i I still go with marcus stripling uh number one but that's a a good question there from uh jay mitch So we're going to take a break there. We're going to be back on the other side with more with some non-football talk, talk about OU basketball this weekend and uh, some other stuff going on around Sooner Nation. Uh, Once again, this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zach. 
Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Ryan Aber here with Abby Bitterman and Abby. Uh, a good week for OU men's basketball. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. With, uh, two quality wins. Obviously, uh, beating a ranked opponent for the first time this season in West Virginia. And then Iowa State by 29 points, what is last night at the time of recording. Yeah. Um, the growth of Christian Doolittle, and we've seen him, he had a big impact early in the season mm-hmm. there during non-conference play. He went through a little bit of a slump there, but to come out of it and perform the way that he has and to have, especially uh, on Wednesday, to have both Manic and Doolittle doing what they were able to do, I think flashes just how good this team can be. Yeah, and I mean um – you know, Christian Doolittle, like you said, had been in a bit of a slump. Uh, I think didn't didn't get in double figures scoring wise for about like four or five games in a row. I think it was just four. Um, and then on Saturday against West Virginia, he kind of bounced back, and all of a sudden, it was like the lights came on, and he finished with twenty seven points and twelve rebounds. And you know, we asked him what was what was different. And he said that... By the way, it was five straight games. In, oh, it was in, five. Uh, okay. Less than double figures. But he said that he was just playing with more confidence. He had been in his head for those past um, five games and kind of just decided to come out and play confident and not worry too much about whether the ball went in or not. And then it just started to go in. And I think that, that his confidence built and built more as it fell and his teammates found him more. And then that just kind of like the momentum of that win for the whole team. Uh, it kind of just carried over into into their game Wednesday against Iowa State when he came out and was one of their, uh, I think was their leading score was the leading scorer for the whole game, obviously, but was their leading scorer at the half too. And just another great game for him. And then like you mentioned, Brady Manick, um, also really good. I believe four of five from – the three from behind the three-point line yeah yeah four or five seven to ten uh, overall 18 points for for Brady Manick and three assists yeah so uh, you know he had three assists and the team uh, as a whole had three yeah the, the team, team as had a whole 17. Said, had 17 sorry, sorry. yeah we're uh, just both trying to say the same thing but, so it's fine you know the ball movement I mm-hmm. thought really stood out but going back to Christian Doolittle I think the biggest thing with him is he's being much more aggressive now yes and I, I think you see that at the free throw line uh, you know, before he broke out of the slump, he'd only had more than six free throws in a game once this season. Uh, he had 11 against Kansas State in the Big 12 opener. Since then, uh, he's had seven, was seven for seven against West Virginia from the line, seven for eight against Iowa State last night. And that aggressiveness, when you couple the aggressiveness with being able to hit from outside, I think that really stresses teams defensively we saw that last night with Iowa State and then when you throw Brady Manick in a corner to Mm. go along with that it stresses you even more and I think and when you add that to you know the job that uh, guys like Jamal Biennemi and and uh, Harmon are doing right now you know I I think uh, sort of the the re-emergence of Austin Reeves as an offensive option has has helped a lot Continued yep. growth of Alondis Williams. Yeah, I well, mean, heck, that yeah, that first uh, first seven minutes there, the second half, when Alondis Williams just flat took over the yeah. game, 
so you you he finished with fourteen, and all fourteen were in the second half. Well, yeah, and I think all fourteen were within about seven minutes. Of yeah, the no, game, I think if you're I'm right. not mistaken. Um, so yeah, just uh, I think this team continues to show growth. Uh, I think they are an NCAA tournament team. I'm not sure they're a, a team that's capable of making it to the second weekend, but they're certainly fun to watch right now. Yeah, they're a lot of fun to watch, especially when you know they start getting comfortable. That's when I think the real fun comes out, and they start dunking all over the place. And you can and they play with a lot of joy too when that happens. Um, and I think that you know when you can couple that with having six players in uh in double figures and you know just having a lot of momentum i think that they're in good shape for what's going to be a really tough stretch coming up yeah this next five games they play four ranked teams also have oklahoma state on the road uh, tucked in there as well so yep. it's going to be a challenging stretch i think if they find a way all they've got to do is go two and three and they feel really really good about themselves uh to come out of that stretch two and three i think uh probably um you know uh you know one and four is the more likely option but with this team right now like playing texas tech at home that you you got feel pretty good about your chances yeah especially the how close they played texas tech the first time um you know, things only really fell apart in the last, like, five minutes. Um, but it's going to be a real tough start to that stretch going to Kansas um, to play in Lawrence at Allen Fieldhouse and then coming home to play Baylor, yeah. the number Which one team been, in the country. So It's been not quite 30 years, but almost 30 years since almost OU 30 years. went to Lawrence and won a game. So and they've had some really good teams. I mean, they've taken the number one team in the country to Lawrence, yeah, uh, at least once. I think maybe even a couple times during that stretch, and they haven't been able to pull out a win. The best basketball game every time we talk about uh, going to Lawrence and, and Allen Fieldhouse, I think about the best basketball game I've ever witnessed and will ever witness. Nothing will ever top it. The Buddy Heald oh, game, yeah, uh, which was just uh, phenomenal. It. It is the best college basketball game over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Regular season college basketball game. I mean, there. You know, you think about the importance of NCAA tournament games, and I, I think those sort of get magnified. Especially, you know, we've seen some fantastic finishes in the tournament. Most notably, the you know the Villanova uh, national championship mm-hmm. game a couple years ago. But still, uh, the best regular season college basketball game over at least Absolutely. the last decade, potentially more was uh was that buddy healed game in allen Fieldhouse, and i not sure abby that you're gonna see something like that happen on saturday but it's a fantastic environment and i'm excited to the listeners if you've never been to allen Fieldhouse, if you're a college basketball fan you have to go because it is incredible yep um but i feel like enough about hoops there's a lot of sports uh <laughs> ryan tell us about I don't know, women's gymnastics, OU baseball, all happening this weekend. Yeah, well, gymnastics, um, we'll just touch on that really quick because they're in this stretch where they don't really play, compete against much of anybody who's really going to stress them. You know, they they, uh, beat Texas women's 
OU dispatched them uh, pretty easily, beat them by uh, you know almost three points, which one point in a gymnastics win is a blowout. So mm-hmm. that this was just a drubbing. They'll play West Virginia and Texas Women's this weekend. Uh, Stanford comes to town next week. Uh, I, they should beat Stanford uh, relatively handily. And then Denver on February 29th at Lloyd Noble Center. I think that's the one that you sort of circle because Denver, who is in the Big 12 in yes. uh, women's gymnastics, is uh, is a really solid team. So we'll see uh, how that goes. But o- OU should have no problems here this weekend. Baseball gets off to uh, the start of its season uh, Friday in Pensacola, Florida in the Wahoos Classic. At what the, a name. Uh, it is a great name. The the home of the uh, Pensacola Blue Wah- Wahoos. Okay. That's their uh, their team, I, th- I think. Now you got me. Oh, I'm just more questioning what a Wahoo is, but. Yeah, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. They play at Admiral Fetterman Field at Blue Wahoo Stadium. Incredible. You're just, you're saying a lot of great <laughs> things. But uh, they're going to go down there to start. It's it's weird because it's this classic, but it's uh, just a three-game series against uh, the Cavaliers, which uh, Virginia is a really good baseball program, so that'll be a, a good start to the season for the Sooners. And then they'll come back for a nice little stretch of home games as well. So, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of chances – uh, to to see the Sooners out at Eldale Mitchell. I think this is going to be a really interesting baseball team. Mm-hmm. When you look at the rotation that they've got with uh, Cade Cavalli and Levi Prater at the start of it, uh, the bullpen that they put together with Jason Ruffcorn, who was a fantastic closer for him a year ago, and uh, some of the JUCOs guys that they brought, I think they've got a chance to be a really good team. So uh, we'll see what happens. But we're going to wrap it up right there. Oh, you Wait, I have a real quick say? softball note. I could okay, say a sorry. lot of things about softball, but the one thing I'll say is that this weekend uh, in Tucson, Arizona, they're going to play OU number three right now, going to play number four, Arizona, who um, Mariah Lopez, pitcher for OU for the last three seasons, has transferred to Arizona. So there is a high chance that uh, OU could be playing against uh, its former pitcher uh, on Saturday. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting thing to watch out for this weekend. We'll see how all Sooner Athletics does, but certainly the focus will be up in Lawrence, Kansas, on men's basketball with uh, OU and KU uh, facing off at Allen Fieldhouse. But we're going to wrap it up there on the Sooners Extra Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best. Coverage.